Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Watkins. So Tom is the head of performance for one of Australia's leading athletic development facilities, Athletes Authority. He's also the high performance manager for the Fiji National Rugby League team who've just competed at the Rugby World Cup. And that makes Tom the perfect person today to discuss how elite teams keep their players fit throughout end tournaments at the highest level. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Tom onto the show. So Tom, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, looking forward to it, Matt. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, uh, I've listened to plenty of these, so it's exciting to be uh, finally jump on. Oh, mate, thank you very much for joining us. I really, uh, I really enjoy it when someone who's listened before comes on as well. Um, yeah, it means that we're not spouting complete bullshit, so uh, I'm happy with that. And uh, yeah, it's nice to nice to bring that back into that circle and that community. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So my name's uh, Tom Watkins. Uh, I'm the current head of performance at Athletes Authority, which is a uh, private strength and conditioning facility in Sydney. Um, but we are about to uh, expand to Melbourne as well. So obviously in Australia. Uh, and then I'm also the current uh, high performance manager for Fiji National Rugby League. So um, obviously two pretty diverse roles that allow me to work with some uh, some pretty talented athletes across a, a really wide range of sports. But um, my background before that's been in rugby league, and so I guess that's uh, how this sort of Fiji role popped up. And most recently, you've obviously been over to the Rugby League World Cup, so uh, looking forward to having a bit of a chat around that. Mate, yeah. So, like, before we get into the the details of the the podcast, what was the Rugby World Cup like? Because I saw a little bit of it on TV. It looked amazing. Like, how was that for you? Yeah, mate, it was awesome. Um, Obviously, look, uh, first time for me uh, at an event like that, at a World Cup. Um, I'd been involved in some international uh, competition before uh, with Fiji, but first time in a major tournament or World Cup like that. And obviously to travel over to England um, and get to play at some pretty prestigious and cool grounds that obviously growing up and uh, being a sport lover, you get to see on TV to go to some of those venues and uh, and get to be a part of um, a pretty big sporting event over there was awesome. And um, I feel like the support that we got over there uh, from the crowd and, and how they sort of really uh, took to the tournament, particularly in the north of England, um, was really fantastic. We had plenty of support everywhere. And to go over there and be immersed in that was, was something special and something I'll hold dear for, for the rest of my life for sure. Oh, excellent, mate. And like the, the north of England love that as well, right? So it's, uh, it is a bit of a north-south divide. So, uh, I can imagine the, the welcoming, uh, arms to bring you in with a couple of beers was, uh, was certainly welcome for you as an Australian coming over. So, uh, right. Anyway, I'm, I'm being, I'm going to wax lyrical about, uh, the north of England, which is fantastic. But well, let's, uh, let's crack on with a podcast. Um, in terms of rugby league, obviously you've got Fijians who are known for being big units, like solid, uh, human beings. What kind of fitness do they need for rugby league? Yeah, well, you've sort of hit the nail on the head there. They are big, strong, powerful athletes. And um, I've, I've had a bit of a joke, but, you know, I, I sort of say that um, some of the Fijian boys can look at dumbbells and get bigger. Um, and it, it feels that way sometimes. Um, in terms of what they need, look, obviously rugby league athletes are, are power-based athletes. Um, they need to be able to compete over an 80-minute period. So, obviously need to have some sort of aerobic capacity and base, but it's really being able to repeat high-intensity efforts or those anaerobic efforts over and over again um, in the moments that matter. And, and so from 
what they need. It's obviously a really diverse range of they need to be big and strong enough to withstand contact. Um, and to, to do that, someone described rugby league uh, like going and jumping off a second-story building 40 times in 80 minutes. Um, and, I, you know, I can probably resonate with that a little bit. They What they put their bodies through is pretty – uh, pretty phenomenal, but then you've also got some high running loads of outside backs running further than 10k in a game whilst getting beaten pillar to post. So it is a, a very fascinating uh, sport to program for and something uh, that never has a dull moment. So I guess, yeah, to, to answer that question, they sort of need a, a bit of everything, but really uh, a strength and power game uh, underpinned by some aerobic, uh, really aerobic capacity and then the ability to repeat high-speed efforts. I'm, I'm really interested to hear how you program for that, but we'll, we'll save that for just a second. Um, when, when you look at the national team, you compare that to roles that you previously had in club rugby. What's your scope of influence yeah. there? Because I, yeah, personally, I find this a really interesting one. I work with some national teams and I don't have the club situation and I'm sat there going, yeah, well, I can't affect them day to day if I'm not yeah. there. So what's your, what's your scope of influence on those players? Yeah, I, I think that that really, well, I think um, that changes and depends on obviously the length of competition. So we had some test matches earlier in the year, which were only sort of one week, uh, two week camps where um, they were sitting in the middle of our professional season here or the middle of the NRL for those that uh, know rugby league. So obviously in those camps, you have far less influence on what you're doing with the boys because they're coming from, you know, up to 16 NRL clubs. Um, all doing different programs, all with different turnarounds that they've come off the back of um, and and sort of leading into. So you have far less. But the great thing about this World Cup is that we had seven or eight weeks with the boys where we could really sort of rip our teeth into the preparation and sort of have um, some real autonomy over everything that they did. Obviously, that uh, we wanted to reach out to all their high-performance managers and lead physios before the tournament, got a really good understanding of what their sort of chronic load was any pre-existing injuries and stuff that they'd rolled off the back of. And something that was really unique about this World Cup probably was we had guys that played uh, in an NRL grand final. Uh, so we had four guys that played on grand final day. Um, so they literally finished their grand final five days later. We were on a plane to England uh, and, and landed with us within a week of playing a grand final. And then we had athletes that hadn't played a final series. So essentially hadn't played competitive football for five weeks. Um, so juggling those sort of diverse, I guess, lead-ins um, was something pretty fascinating and something that uh, was a bit of a challenge. But in this tournament, we definitely had far more influence over all their gym programming and conditioning um, and was really had to sort of dive into the individualization and nuts and bolts of it and make sure that each, each player was getting looked after uh, because they weren't coming from the same program. They hadn't been doing the same loads. Um, so it really was uh, an individual case by case basis. I think that's that's really interesting. It's great to hear that you can get that contact with the clubs as well. That you can, um, for the good of the athlete, put all that information together and hopefully, yeah, give them a better service when they come into the national team. So that's a that's a really nice little case study to hear how that can work. Um, but when when you are in those sessions and you're starting to plan and you've got all that that kind of sports science side sorted. Like what are the key areas that you're looking to address? Because obviously you've not got much time. Um, yeah. They need to do all their technical, tactical stuff. How do yeah. you, as a as the the SSC coach, put all that together and then give them some kind of stimulus, which is then enough for them to adapt and and perform optimally? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think obviously based on sort of what I touched on before, that individualization for each player, um, you got to think that the guys that hadn't been played hadn't played football. Um, we obviously had some extra weeks with them, and they were sort of dosed with some conditioning, some sort of aerobic power and high end sort of lactic stuff early, um, and that was just to get some K's in the legs, and so that we weren't going to spike their load when they'd gone from no football to all of a sudden playing a game, three sessions on field and two in the gym. So for them, it was really about getting a little bit of a a base, although in a short period of time, sort of building them up over a three-week period leading into the first competition game. So they felt like they'd had something in the legs. Um, For the guys that sort of came in later, and we got them in about three different waves um, of guys that came into the squad. So those initial boys, then guys that had sort of played a final series but got knocked out before the grand final, then we got the grand final guys. Um, so that next lot over got to play a trial game with us. Um, so they'd still been playing football, which was great. Didn't need too much in terms of top-up. It was just maintaining the current loads that they'd had. And we sort of had, obviously, the, the club send us their GPS units for the past two months, had a look through what they'd been doing in final series. Those that hadn't played too much finals needed to top them up a little bit, get them some high-speed exposure. Um, but those that had been playing, it was really just about, you know, keeping them going. Um, and then for those grand final guys, um, they'd been playing 26 rounds of NRL football plus four weeks of finals. Um, they were ready to rock and roll. It, it was more what can we do um, to aid their recovery um, and, and make sure that they're ready to go come get game day. Um, in terms of the strength stimulus stuff, uh, yet again, we we kind of rolled into that first those, that first lot sort of got, uh, you know, in that first week or two, got a couple of extra sessions under their belt to feel like they'd tick some stuff off, particularly some posterior chain loading. Um, but then as we rolled into competition period, we sort of went with two um, key lifts each week and we were really lucky. Uh, we got seven-day turnarounds every time, which uh, made it pretty pretty reasonable for us. Um, so it was just really, yeah, two sort of main lifts. One was kind of a more accessory-based recovery lift, I guess you'd call it, um, where you're trying to get through range and sort of a bit of a regen block. And then the other was our sort of key strength session uh, with a little bit of uh, Olympic lifting or explosive stuff to sort of prime them. Um, So that's the gym stuff. And then, as I said, the conditioning stuff was really case-by-case basis. And uh, obviously, I want to dive into that a little bit. So if you you take that... um so the the regen session, brilliant. But like, I think the interesting yeah. stuff and people want to hear about is the is the power development, the speed development, the strength development. Yeah. So, how does that session look for you in terms of getting in what is effectively man mountains into yeah. the gym and and getting them to do some kind of yeah Olympic lifting you you mentioned, but like some kind of serious power exercise. Like, how does that look for you? Yeah. yeah so obviously the the boys yet again like they all come from different clubs, different programs. They've had different gym exposure. Um, so you're really trying to, I guess, your role as, uh, or my role as the head of performance in this international team, as I said, although you get far more scope that you can do with them in these longer camps, it's, it's really about trying to fit the piece of the puzzle from what they've been exposed to previously. So from a power development, we looked at um, doing some contrast stuff. So we got the guys that could and had experienced power cleaning 
Um, and then we'd sort of pair up with a banded broad jump where they could really express a lot of force into the ground, um, but in a resisted fashion that they, you know, obviously could feel like they could uh, push into it. Um, for the guys that probably, you know, rugby league players don't have the greatest front rack position sometimes, we looked at some trap bar jumps or some high pull options, uh, which still emphasise that sort of triple extension and force into the ground, um, pairing with that broad jump. And then obviously uh, we went into then uh, our sort of key lift, which we would squat with some sort of vertical vector jump to kind of pair that up nicely. So um, we did some sort of non-counter movement uh, seated jumps um, for height uh, paired with their back squat, a couple that didn't back squat and they would trap bar dead just because of a similar sort of uh, squat dominant pattern there in a trap bar as opposed to a barbell um, and then look to get that vertical force in there. So kind of two key contrasts um, there and then from an upper body perspective, bench press combined contrast again with some supine med ball throws, which we will really encourage them uh, sort of partner drop so they could load and explode and utilize that stretch shortening cycle. Nice, nice. And what was the reason behind the the contrast? So obviously there's uh, there's some literature which supports it. So what's your thought process behind including that? Yeah, I, I think in a team setting, um, you know, where ultimately you don't have, you know, you, you, you can't spend two hours in the gym, you can't spend um, an hour 45, you know, with the, the sort of tight schedule that you have, particularly the World Cup between media appearances, field sessions, uh, you know, obviously giving the boys time off and getting them to the gym and all everything else that goes into a World Cup. We sort of are limited to about an hour in uh, in there. So a couple of things. Number one, obviously, um, probably a big fan of potentiating those movements and, and with the literature surrounding that, but then also from a, a factor of being able to get more work done or superset or contrast things um, to be able to get that done quickly uh, in a pretty sort of controlled environment where we have some good control over what they're doing and how they're expressing force um, was probably the most beneficial reason why we ran with that kind of model. Absolutely. Excellent, mate. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, you, you mentioned recovery just a second ago as well. Obviously, at an yep. end tournament, so that's like your, your biggest moment in, in years, recovery is huge. So what kind of, uh, what kind of recovery methods were you using? Yeah, so boys uh, sort of post, if we sort of, I guess, work from the game and then through the week, um, obviously post-game straight away, uh, ice baths. Um, we were looking at just uh, essentially getting them into cold immersion uh, for an extended period of time. Obviously, understanding the literature is sort of uh, a little bit, mm, let's say, uh, not conclusive on necessarily uh, everything to do with contract, oh, sorry, with cold immersion. Having said that, I think from vasoconstriction after a contact-based sport where we can start to uh, reduce that inflammation, um, I think is really important. And, and to be honest, even if it's just a placebo effect as well for our athletes, they all love it. They all feel good after it. They feel a little bit more recovered. So we would utilise them straight after a game. Um, the next day would be uh, essentially off completely where the boys were given time because a lot of our games were in the evening. Now, probably one of the key rocks of recovery, which is overlooked, is sleep. Um, you know, often forgotten about when we talk about recovery and everyone wants to throw uh, all these, you know, uh, sort of what I would call far minor ones 
um, but sort of nutrition and recovery being the big ones. So we prioritise sleep, so let the boys have a big sleep in the next day, got them a really good breakfast and feed uh, the next morning, and they had the day to do what they wanted. The following day, Monday, so game day plus two, uh, we did a pool session, uh, which also then had evening massage um, for the boys. We would then play, no, sorry, play uh, train Tuesday, which would be our low skill act day or call it installation day, where we went through obviously sort of how we wanted to play the following week, some of the skills development stuff that we needed to tick off from the week before, um, and then our sort of uh, gym session, as I said, uh, which we, we sort of uh, would do that um, sort of accessory-based uh, gym session and then roll into we were really lucky we had a pool at our uh, at our facility and we would then get in the pool that afternoon. Wednesday after our main session would be ice baths uh, and also massage. Thursday day off, Friday captain's run and then play again on Saturday. So sort of hitting across the week, you know, multiple ice bath exposures, two massage, uh, pool recovery, um, and then obviously really prioritising sleep and nutrition across the week as well. Absolutely excellent, mate. And I wanted to ask about your week planning, but you've already hit that one, so that's, uh, that's excellent yeah, stuff. Sorry, sorry did, about that. No, not at all, not that. at all. Um, did, did, that, did that change throughout the tournament? Because obviously you've got like a, a pool phase, a group phase, and then uh, the knockout yeah. phase. Did, did you change throughout the tournament the, the load that the athletes were, were getting, or was it just a case of we're going to keep that consistent for them? Uh, like obviously there were minor changes just because we didn't want to sort of hit any uh, feel like we were hitting any monotony or, or real consistency there. We needed to vary it up, and as I said, obviously we were over there for eight weeks, so we needed to. We definitely did need to have some sort of fluctuations in low. Um, they they kind of came. We were, I guess, for our tournament, we we had a lot of travel involved in our tournament. Um, we were based in Hull, but played. Uh, it wasn't until the elimination stages that we actually played in Hull. Um, so we played a warm-up game in Manchester. Uh, we played our first game in Leeds. Then we played two games in Newcastle. So all sort of big bus trips. So there was a sort of um, decent amount of travel there. Now, based on that travel and what we did around that would vary our week as well. Um, we'd always do captain's run at the ground. So we travelled on the Thursday we do captain's run on the Friday at the venue and say play Saturday. Um, and then depending what we needed to, we one of the weeks where we wanted to get less, we stripped out our Tuesday session, which instantly dropped about 3K from the week uh, and probably 150 high speed, um, which was good. And then we prioritised recovery again in that week, which was uh, our final round game before then our, our sort of quarter final. So the boys had been rolling for three or four weeks by then we gave them a bit of a deload to be able to then give them a little bit more knowing that the the uh, quarterfinal was going to be a little bit more intense i think that's a really interesting insight into how you can play with that as well so uh, i really appreciate that uh, before we wrap up i want to ask you what the like what was your one lesson that you took from that whole experience because obviously there's going to be hundreds right like you were there for weeks yeah. loads of stuff but what, what was the one thing that really stuck with you from that experience yeah, uh, you're right. There probably was a, a million things that you learn on the go, and particularly for me as being my first tournament, um, there were plenty of, of really good learning lessons. Um, I, I think uh, sometimes in those, uh, less is more, um, and that was probably a really big lesson that I learned um, and luckily probably learned it pretty early. Um, I think when you're in 
and camp situations like that, it's very easy to feel like you have access to the players all the time. So therefore, coaches, assistant coaches, strength and conditioning coaches all want their piece, you know, they all want their time in the sun, so to speak, they're trying to pull and get, but you've got to remember that if those boys were at home or in their own programs going home, they wouldn't be training or doing video or or what have you at those times and, and giving them those off times where they can not think about football, not be training, hit the reset button was really important. Now for us, um, you know, with the Fiji team, some of their cultural stuff is massive. You know, it's really important to them as individuals, but them as a team. Um, so really, really prioritising some of that and giving them the opportunity uh, to really engage in that in that sort of cultural and religious aspect and not fill it just with football because we could um, was a really important lesson. I think that, you know, even if you don't have that cultural piece um, with other clubs, it's, it's finding that thing that brings everyone together, filling it with that and not necessarily trying to hammer them with football because they will be footballed out or, you know, uh, whatever sport you're playing or working with for those listening out there. Less is more sometimes in those camp environments. Don't feel like because you have access to them that you need to be training all the time. Absolutely excellent. So, Tom, massive thanks for your time and efforts today. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you if, they, if they're looking for more information about you? Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you can find me at Athletes Authority. Um, you can go to our website, but also on my Instagram, uh, coach underscore Watkins uh, or tom.watkins at athletesauthority.com au so uh yeah any questions or anyone wants to touch base i'm always happy to have conversations with coaches or athletes out there i love love chatting to people so please feel free to reach out um and uh yeah let's let's have a chat about whatever you want strength and conditioning wise perfect thank you very much buddy it's been a pleasure talking no thanks man i appreciate it cheers buddy Bye. and that's it once again a massive thanks to tom for all of his hard work in today's podcast i really appreciate it and i'm sure you do at home too before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more fantastic sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes. So hit that link in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.